0: the European Championships on Caught Offside. Here's Chiesa on the follow-up! Italy's moment! The blue touch paper lit by Federico Chiesa!
1: This for the final. Oh! Cheeky! Impudent! Decisive! Forza Italia! Italy are in the Euro 2020 final! It's Kane pulling into space. They've this well.
0: Saka's got him behind here! Sterling is in this time and does score. And England a level if he can convert it.
1: And he does it, but he gets another chance and puts it in. And England lead, 2-1.
0: Kane on the rebound. Now here's Andrew Gunling and J.J. DeBan. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling. And J.J. Devaney, we have our final. What's up, brother?
1: There's just so much drama, and I'm kind of sad. Today is bittersweet. We've watched two brilliant semi-finals. I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Different, but brilliant. And now there's only one game left in this tournament, and I can't help but feel a bit sad and nostalgic for what has been a brilliant month of football.
0: Yeah, I know it really has. But hey, we talked about this on the last podcast don't worry baby because we got the gold cup all right <laughs> calm down can you can you hear it in the distance andrew
1: because i feel like it's getting louder
0: hmm? Hmm? what is what? Uh, not we're, not we're not positive enough,
1: positive
0: it's enough. Coming home. It's coming oh geez i'm we'll on on getting bad results so. such a good video too great video Great. Screams nineties. It the, really does the oh, clothing, the general behaviour Everything
1: in it, yeah. yeah. Was was uh, symptomatic of the nineties. And it looks as if uh well, Italy are gonna have something to say. They're they've already made their banners. It's coming Rome. Yeah. Which is I yeah. a a play a play on how some people think it reminds me when I saw it It's Coming Rome, I just thought of it, you know, phonetically and I thought of Furio from Sopranos. Who would be who's from Italy and his English was broken, you know? That's what you thought of. You gotta be on your hat. <laughs> that kind of thing. But um yeah, it's it's teed up. People are saying the two best teams are in the final. We will go into the semifinals and probably deduce that maybe the second best team is not in the final in, in the final.
0: It's possible, but regardless, I mean and we'll get to these semifinals in, in great detail, but just like the overview of now what we're left with, England and Italy. Say what you want about who made it through, who didn't. All I know is England, Italy, in a final at Wembley, it just, like, it just all works for me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. There's, there's something about the two teams with such history in a venue with such history. It's just one of those teams playing on their home soil. It, it's going to be a, an amazing occasion, a, a, a real event.
1: I want the weather to be good. The weather needs to be good because a little
0: bit of rain wouldn't add some drama?
1: No. Um a well-watered pitch we need to have, but I want the weather we associate with tournament finals, Andrew. And it's usually a bit balmy, sweaty, sweaty brows. We see a lot of that. Um we need that. And I worry that uh, the United Kingdom will not provide such weather. But there we go.
0: <sighs> Where to begin? Where to begin? I guess we'll begin, I mean, you and I we've only just finished watching the game England Denmark, so I guess let's start with that. It's what's most prevalent on our minds. It's the game that happened most recently and it is England, like we said, that go through. They are in their first final since the final. Since nineteen sixty six. Incredible that it's been that yeah, long. Yeah,
1: can we can we just quickly attack that narrative that's been built up about close calls and being unlucky and general tragedy for England in tournaments? not actually the case most of the time they didn't come within a mile of a final in the 70s they hardly qualified for anything 1970 World Cup yes and then after that nothing until 80 so you know, they they don't generally get that close, but there have been a few moments of tragedy along the way which is kind of coagulated into this narrative. So this is huge for them to be in a final.
0: Well, yeah, but also, too, they're coming off of 2018 where they reached a semifinal and had a lead in said semifinal. So, so that that's a close call. Progression. The last time that they were at home in 96, semifinal, loss on penalties. Mm. Uh, and I, I think just generally speaking you know looking at some of their teams from say 2002 through 2010 you know the heart of the lampard gerard uh go on say it just say it that era what Gold, golden generation i, well, I wasn't going to use those words but i mean if you think of you know beckham Skulls, you think of some of the players that came through in that general era it's it was Disappointing. I'm sure you know we can point to any number of losses that they probably oh, yeah. thought that they were the better team and they should have gone through. But clicks and team chemistry and all that, and also Sven Jorgensen
1: yeah. picking a four four two all the time, playing scores on the left, then forcing him into retirement. <laughs> you know things like that. Uh, playing David Beckham in the center center mid, all those things. Uh, but you know there were there were there were games they came close. I suppose Ericsson would look at his quarterfinals and say, Hey, you know we were knocking on the door there lost the penalties in Portugal in 2006. 2004, they went out. That was the Rooney Red set. card, right? That was the Rooney Red card. Yeah, I mean. yeah, 2002, then they went to Japan and South Korea in the World Cup, and David Seaman lost his bearings, and Ronaldinho whipped one in over his head, etc., etc. But yeah, I, I suppose you're right. Uh, those That era came and went without any silverware, and now probably the strongest group of players since the wilderness years, what would you say, from McLaren through to Hodgson, McLaren, Capello, Hodgson. Uh, And now we've got... um, We've got Gareth, the unlikely manager. And while we're on this, just because we mightn't get back to it, Mm -hmm. I I told you that I was listening to to the Guardian football podcast. And um, someone tweeted them, uh, Max and the guys, all this may not have happened were it not for a restaurant that served wine by the (laughs)
0: pints. You know... We've covered that in great detail over the years.
1: It was a poster on our wall in the old studio with Sam Allardyce and that sting by the Telegraph, um, which looked into football and uh, football transfers and general corruption, and that was it. Sam Allardyce had one game. It could have been so different. And now Gareth and this golden era has been ushered in. Or this era of progress. Let's not call it golden
0: yet. Well, a semifinal appearance at the World Cup and now a final appearance in the very next tournament, the European Championships. I mean, yeah, that's it's close. It's the best they've done in a long time. I mean, in terms of back-to-back tournament performances, right. it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, so let's talk about this game. The big change, I guess, from one game to the next, Saka going back into the lineup, Sancho coming out. I thought that was... This was kind of reverting back to what you had thought was going to be their 11... Forever. Right. And I think that the reason he did it
1: was, again, extremely pragmatic. He wanted to protect Kyle Walker on that side. And we know who were the, the two names that are going to trip off the tongue after this tournament in terms of attacking wide play for Denmark with Strigger Larsen and Mela. And he wanted to stop Mela getting down that side, as it turned out. Walker had Mela in his back pocket. Kyle Walker's uh, recovery pace was unbelievable. Andrew, I, I'm jumping ahead here, but I think he was man of the match for England tonight. Okay. I thought he was absolutely excellent. He had two recovery runs to cover Damsgaard and Mela uh, in the first fifteen, twenty minutes, and you thought he's on it tonight and he's really, really good. And it's you know, it's it's a year or in the last in the last twelve months where he's been called an idiot by a prominent pundit on Sky Sports and, you know, lost his place in the English side for a while where Southgate was trying to find different options. But he found out tonight that his best option still remains uh, Kyle Walker. But I think the decision to bring Sack in was Sancho's not going to give him any cover whatsoever. Sack is more likely to. In the end, it didn't matter.
0: It's interesting, too. You think about, you know, you talk about the sliding doors moments of what if Big Sam hadn't had that pint of wine. You know, but you're sitting here talking about Kyle Walker and his performances. What if Trent Alexander-Arnold hadn't gotten hurt? You know, I mean, who knows what the lineup might have looked like and who would have been shuffled in and out. It's Who knows? But yeah, Kyle Walker was excellent. Raheem Sterling, too. I mean, I don't know that he needed a redemption tour, but the Raheem Sterling redemption tour continued tonight at Wembley Stadium.
1: For some. For others, the villainous tour has just begun and Uh-oh. is just clicking into gear. But we will get to that.
0: Well, we, we can talk about him now and, and his game overall. I mean, look, he, he was a huge part. In, in real time, I thought he had scored the first goal. Obviously, we know now that Simon Kerr knocked that in as an own goal, but Raheem Sterling certainly had a large part in that happening. His placement there, the run that he made. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and for the game overall, what was the st- I saw a stat about him. Uh, Raheem. Here it is. Sterling joins 2014 Lionel Messi and 2018 Eden Hazard and 1970 Jairzinho as the only players to complete uh, complete at least 10 1v1 dribbles in a Euro or World Cup semi final.
1: Well, England settled into the game. Since
0: 1978.
1: England settled into the game much better than Denmark. And part of that settling was just Sterling running at, at Denmark. Yeah. He's a nightmare. That's how the penalty came about as well. Whatever you think of the penalty. And again, we'll, we'll talk we'll, about it now. It's not a penalty to me. Um uh, but i I do see why the problem with the wording of VAR comes in. Is it a clear and obvious error by the referee? No, but I don't think you can you well, can, this... you can decide games with something that there was to to my
0: eyes, no contact. I, well, there was contact. You no, can decide whether he was on his it, way. it's over. up for everyone to decide. I know you say that, but like you keep even before the podcast, you kept saying to me there's no contact there's no, but there is there is contact. Everyone can decide for their own whether or not that was influential in Sterling going down. But to me, halfway over. But when, to, when but to me, it's check. not a var. It's not a var issue. Like var, no one can overturn that. It's it's that it's close. Like there is there is contact. The angles that you get on the var. How about great? How about you tell the referee go and have a look at it for yourself. The fact that
1: no screen, no, no sideline screen, was consulted to me was.
0: I mean, do you think there's enough there that he's going to overturn his original call? To me, it's one of those. That's I think. Just I, kind d- of, I think there it's is. On the, if they don't call it, I sit here and I say, "Okay, fine, I get it." If they do, I say, "All right, I think I get it." I don't know. To me, it's one of those that, if you're a Denmark fan, I'm sure you're furious about it. I under, I totally understand that. I'm not saying anyone's off base necessarily, but it, I guess it's not. It's just not one that I would put in the egregious category.
1: Ah, uh, for me, I, I, I think it, I think it goes right in there. I think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was a terrible decision. And a t- and a terrible way to ultimately finalize a game. Interesting. Yeah, I I do I honestly feel that way. It's just we can't call penalties for that. You can't do it, and uh, and you need to be a hundred percent sure with that one. And when you've got the technology, just just go and have a look at it. Adv- the VAR should advise, but um, that's not that's not really the way it was going to work there. So there we are.
0: Um. I mean, in terms of the rest of the game, aside from that, you know, it was it was a fun watch for much of it. It was back and forth. Both teams had chances. But then it, it kind of settled into a point where it felt like, I mean, my God, England just... It was entirely played at one end of the field. It felt like it was entirely going to be England well, generating chance after chance. Mm,
1: let's break that down. So England settled much, much better. And I thought, Geez, Denmark looked way off it. And... Denmark grew into the game and into the half before the goal. And an amazing thing happened was that on 15 minutes, Pickford he throws the ball to Damsgaard. And a total mistake. And by the way, Pickford looked nervous and, I don't know, flustered all night. I think the occasion got to him, but England got away with it. And then it's like minutes later where uh, Ian Dark on the call is saying, Pickford breaks, Gordon Banks is... Shutout record for England Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at a major tournament. Incredible. And then things get even weirder. So Denmark win a free kick and they create a cloud, Andrew. A cluster cloud. Right, like maybe say 10, 15 yards outside the 18-yard box, together with England. And I'm like, what are they doing? And the ball is just clipped. They all break off then. And the ball is just, it's clearly a rehearsed set play. And they all break off and Shaw is penalised for a foul. And that was the free kick where Damsgaard... It's what I think is one of the best free kicks I've seen in a long time. And I know it was kind of central, and I know Jordan Pickford is going to get criticism. But the pace on that ball and the dip on that ball was just incredible. Is
0: Pickford getting criticized Yeah,
1: Yeah, he's getting criticized. There was uh, halftime criticism.
0: Because he didn't, uh, I mean, on the broadcast he didn't. I believe Stuart Robson even said Pickford had no chance.
1: Well, the wall is covering the... To Pickford's right, so Pickford goes a little bit to his left, but I think he's a bit too far over. And now he does get a hand on it, he gets a little bit on it, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, there's just too much pace and power on it. Uh, I, I I, checked in with a couple of places, um, other TV companies outside of ESPN, and there was halftime criticism for Pickford there. I don't agree with that. I think... He's a little bit far over. Does he give himself a lot to do? Yes, but Andrew, the dip in the pace is—it's it ju- great. It's a brilliant strike, and it was one of those that absolutely there was what eight to ten thousand Danish fans there, and it just lifts them. They go absolutely crazy, and Damsgaard was being brilliant uh, for the Danes. He came in in such difficult uh, circumstances, not to replace. Christian Eriksson, because you're not doing that, and he's a different, different kind of player. Um, and I, I think he's been outstanding.
0: Yeah, I guess I just say about the one way traffic because you, you could just tell England were desperate for this to not reach penalties. And in, in the first half of extra time, uh, the touches in the attacking third for Denmark, they had four touches in the attacking third. England had fifty nine. I mean, it just felt like the ball was just permanently in that part of the field, generating chances. Uh, you know, it was, well, it was tense. And uh, finally, uh, if you have the ball in that sort of spot for that long, okay, If maybe you won't score a goal, but you're going to give yourself as much opportunity as possible to at least create a penalty like they ended up doing.
1: Well, I might as well get to it now. And and the reason this massive swing, in my, in my opinion, happened is down to Kasper Hjellman, the the Danish manager. Hmm. This kind of push towards English dominance where you felt as if Danes can't even get down the field. Substitutions just after the hour mark there was Vast came on for Strigger Larson. I mean, Vast did nothing when he got a yellow card. He made no difference whatsoever. Poulsen in for Damsgaard. That's that's not a like-for-like like change and it's not I mean Poulsen is not as good a player or as impactful and wasn't impactful in the same way Damsgaard was and as if to neuter the attack even further he brings on a more defensive-minded midfielder Nogard for Dahlberg and then after that now I'm not saying England didn't have chances before that because um, there was the Maguire header Brilliant save from Schmeichel on 54. Took minutes, it right off the line, which reminded us of the FA Cup final save that he made from Chilwell, I think it was, where he dives across and claws it away. Brilliant save from Schmeichel. So there was a chance for England, but you had in the 58 minute, uh, Denmark put a lovely move together. Dahlberg shot straight at Pickford, okay, um, but that was it. After that, Andrew, I don't know what the tactic was. They and they looked dead on their feet. I'm not making excuses now, but the players that remained on, we saw Thomas Delaney come off later. I think Thomas Delaney had was just exhausted. I don't know if he had picked up a knock. I just think he had nothing left, and they had to make that change. Um, Denmark looked wiped, but I do think the substitutions they were wrong. Why wouldn't you empty the tank with, with those forwards?
0: I would agree. Now, I mean, especially Dahlberg. More, I mean, I know you, you've... Kind of focused on Damsgaard, but Dahlberg is having such a great tournament. I, I get it can only be, it could only be that they were just playing for penalties, that they were going to just set up shop it's defensively. Too early, though.
1: yeah. Too early, and that's um, not what. Or
0: suppose, playing on the counter. I suppose they went to extra time, you know, but
1: it just there was inevitib- an inevitability about what England did in extra time, which was just scrape over the line
0: in extra time. Of course, the penalty. Uh, Harry Kane, who has been excellent in penalty taking, Uh, this was not a good one. And I I have a hard time thinking of a a crueler thing in sports than the penalty save rebound goal. Uh, They're just so hard to save. They just are. Even the bad ones are hard to save and then to still be scored on. It's a tough way to lose. I, I know feel what, bad for Casper Schmeichel. I feel
1: terrible for him because he did so well. He completely anticipated the penalty to the point that he got there early. Like he was it wasn't a save with his hands, guys. I'm sure everyone's seen it at this point. But it hit him in his like chest or midriff area mm-hmm. and Stuart Robson suggested on the call that maybe he should have
0: smothered that. I kinda Boy, that feels that feels very easy to say. In hindsight, seeing it in slow motion, but remember, like this is all happening in real time for Casper Schmeichel. He doesn't know, like he's, like he's just guessed correctly, uh, and the angles
1: of his flailing body have pushed the ball back in the last, literally the last place you want it to go. I feel awful for him. He's going to beat himself up over it. I ga- I guarantee you he will because. I think if he looks at the video, he'll probably feel I've gone the right way. I've made the right decision. I've got to the ball, and look what's happened.
0: Kane, of course, he, he, so he gets the goal. He now ties Gary Lineker for the most goals scored by an England player in major tournaments at ten. Right, and he's got one more game, at least in this tournament, to top that. And it seems like he has a lot of time to extend that Would, lead.
1: If if Gary Lineker has been petty, will he look at some of the penalties from like World Cup twenty eighteen and go?
0: What did Kane have three? Penalties think, at that World I think Cup. It another was one, three, yeah. Another one here. Um, I, I'd have to. What? What did? Lin, who was the penalty taker for England? Then did Lineker Line, convert Lin, penalties? Lineker I mean, had
1: a, had two. Well, Lineker had two penalties against Cameroon in 1990. So, okay. and 86, he was the gold golden boot winner. With I don't think he kicked a penalty. It was all open play goals.
0: Um, I'll say this about Kane, though. I mean, So he gets the goal, bad penalty, gets the rebound, scores. It's funny that I guess that goes down as a goal from open play. That Right? That doesn't wind up counting as a penalty that he converted tonight. That's technically an it, open play goal.
1: Correct, but we all know.
0: Well, we don't know anything. Just like Xabi Alonso in the Champions League final. That's open play. Um But Kane, you know, there was some talk about this decision. Oh, should he be dropping deep? Should he be playing as more of a true striker? Well, I mean, in setting up the first goal, that was Kane coming into the midfield, taking the pass, and then, bang, hitting Saka on the run. It was Super Bowl, really well set up. Kane is good at that. Like we've said on this podcast for years, he's he's a great scorer of goals, obviously. He's a great shot taker. He's He's an underrated passer. An extremely underrated passer. He is. In addition to that one to Saka, shortly before that, he had the ball that he played in that was just out of the reach of Raheem Sterling.
1: That was right at the start of the game. Yeah. Where they, he whipped a cross in and um, it was just, yeah, just beyond Sterling. Sterling couldn't even really slide for it, but it was a good ball. And it was, um, he's got that in his game. And and someone tweeted us over the past few days, do you think Gareth Southgate is telling him to be more central? I would say no. I would say if he... I would say the instruction is don't don't drop as deep as as you were say against who was it was it Scotland or Croatia where he was literally nullifying himself cuz he was dropping far too deep but try and stay in those pockets if you can and link the play. I mean, he linked the play for the goals against Germany too. You know, maybe they were easier less complicated passes than the pass for Saka, but it's part of his game. It's kind of what makes him if you had to sell yourself and I don't want to go down a club path. But if you had to sell yourself on Kane at Manchester City, it can work. Those are the elements of his game where you can say he would, he would be Definitely. involved in the build-up play.
0: I mean, look, to me, he's of a level where there's not really a system where I would look at and say he can't play in that system. Mm-hmm. I, think a, I think he's a tremendous, complete player. I do. It's
1: Roy Hodgson, five years ago since he was taking corner kicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Roy, Roy knew. Roy was ahead of the game. This guy can really strike a nice he ball. Can swing one in, sure.
0: Um, it, it's funny, and talking about him, like, these tournaments, every game is like a season unto itself. You know? Like, the narrative on individual players just fluctuates so wildly uh, over the... What have England played? Three group, st- three group stage games, a round of 16, a quarterfinal. They've played six games in this tournament. And, like, Kane has gone from... Well, he's not scoring for us. He should no longer be a lock as our first-team striker. We have other players who can play, you know, Marcus Rashford, get him in there. Phil Foden, give him another chance. And now Kane is, look what he's done. He scored in three straight knockout stage games for England. He's the hero, and he's back to being, you know, Captain England.
1: It's amazing, but the the Sterling-Kane axis, if you want to call it that, has just proven itself throughout this tournament. For all the noise around the new kids on the block, as good as Sancho was against Ukraine, as good as Phil Foden's opening 10-15 minutes against Croatia, you know the clamour for Grealish, all that noise, you can't get to where England have got right now without Kane and Sterling. Can't do it.
0: No, certainly not. They're going to look great together at Manchester City next season
1: he said, as the tears run down his face.
0: No, that's all right, because Sterling is coming back to Tottenham in the swap, right? (laughs) That's that's the way it's going to work out. Yeah. Um, I don't have too much else on this game, JJ. I don't know if if there's anything else you wanted to get to. Um, There's a... There was an interesting thing that I wanted to
1: ask you about in terms of Jack Grealish coming on and then being taken off. Oh, it's just one of the
0: great indignities that it, you can suffer in this sport. It is. And he didn't look happy. And I'm well, wondering... Well, who would? But It's wh- embarrassing. But it wasn't an injury. No. And I also wonder, I don't know... What was it- he doing that was annoying Gareth. Well, so that's what I was going to ask you is that... And we haven't... Like I said, the game just ended. I'm sure Southgate has been asked about it in the press conference. Sadly, I don't have that in front of me here. Um... Do we know that it was performance related? Was it just Southgate wanted to go? They're they're up now. That that happened after England had scored. So great. Think about it. Grealish off, Trippier on. Did he want an extra defender, and it just made sense for Grealish to be the player who sacrificed? Like we're don't going, know we're, that- we're just going to see this out. Like, we're going to... And go- look, for what it's worth, even after that happened, England still did generate scoring opportunities. Raheem Sterling had another chance from a tight angle where he was. it was three on two.
1: Right, Could, but couldn't you have, like, wouldn't... Like, Sterling was still buzzing, like, running... He really was, ...really yeah. late on, but couldn't you have made the argument, let's rest Raheem Sterling and let's bring Trippier on there? Like, I mean, it's not a like-for-like like swap I mean, anyway. Yeah. I, I think he did something. Or he wasn't doing something defensively that is required of all attacking players. Maybe that's the way I see it. Anyway, is it I,
0: w- what's worse, being subbed on and then subbed off, or being a first half sub? Like, like I I think about it was Ricardo Clark I think in 2010 for the U.S. Men who was subbed off in the 30th minute. Yeah, and I just remember feeling so embarrassed for him. So so. So you you start
1: the game and you're subbed you're off. You're gone
0: half an hour. I, I, the that's, manager can't take any more, but you're out.
1: That's that is pretty bad. <laughs> For no especially when that's that's when you do a an Mbappe and you start grabbing your hamstring. You have to. you've have, you have no choice. Yep, you
0: you've got to save, salvage some, some sort of
1: some kind of face must be saved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of making a comeback. Actually, that, 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 that segue doesn't work. But um, someone who was on and then was off, but now is on again, is uh, Ross Kemp, Andrew.
0: You love this guy.
1: So Ross Kemp, the actor. Well, it's not just me, actually. There's a lot of our listeners were enamoured with his videos from the 2018 World Cup. Remember, this means everything. Everything. After beating Colombia on penalties, so he's an act. He's just an actor and a documentary maker.
0: So remind us who he is, because he's from you, EastEnders. You, you mention him to me like he's Tom Hanks. Oh, he's very famous back home. Right. So he
1: played Grant Mitchell on EastEnders, who was a tough character, um, and he's he's quite an over the top actor, and you can see his. Uh, thespian skills uh, in in these videos but um, yeah so he made those videos in Russia 2018 and they went like viral and so he started doing it again because he needs that he needs England at a major tournament lockdown's been tough for him Um, so here he is uh, celebrating England's win in true Kempian fashion
0: (laughs) yes believe believe in yourselves yes yes
1: He's also one of these guys that um, he, so he's clearly, ha- I feel it's clear he has a few beverages throughout the game, which is awesome. No problem with it. If we weren't doing this podcast, I'd be having a drink too. It's nice. It's a nice way to watch games. But you, you can see the stages of not inebriation, but of what alcohol might do to you because he's going, yes, yes. He's buzzing straight after the win. He posts another video a little bit later on where he's much more tearful than like, Gareth. The boys, you've done us so proud. You've done us really proud. And you deserve everything that you've gotten. And just go to the final and win it because you deserve it. And his eyes are a bit bleary and he's clearly a bit emotional. So I love it. Yeah. I, I, I
0: love this is stuff that I love in international football.
1: If we were to pick a random celebrity, because Ross Kemp wasn't associated with football growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, watching him on TV, we never thought football. So give me a random U.S. celebrity, Uh, not associated with football, that you want to see videos about when, from the goal, not the Gold Cup, next summer's or next winter's World Cup or whatever.
0: Let's see. How about, give me some Owen Wilson. Would you like that? Just come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Come on. It'll be a great time. Yeah. Mm. Kind of a laid back.
1: Yeah. No? No. that. Yeah. I think that could work.
0: Well, I mean, you're, you're look. You're looking for me to say like Sylvester Stallone get up there with veins bulging out of. Well, the Well, he's sides an of your Everton neck.
1: fan, as we discovered. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. I knew that. Yeah, he's an Everton fan. turned huh. up, turned up at uh, Everton once and was brought onto the field by uh, Bill Kenwright.
0: Interesting. I wonder what he thinks of Rafa Benitez. Oh, he's he's raging.
1: He's actually he wants to challenge Benitez to a, a fight in a ring and
0: me along with him.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, but yeah, this was fun. England. In a final at Wembley, uh, what an occasion it's going to be. I- I'll say this. Before we move off of England, while we're kind of you know, walking down the fan lane here. All right. Uh, you have been extra dour to a-, to a level that I was not actually expecting.
1: Tell people what I did when the Damskar goal went in. You, Free kick.
0: Well, I can't say on this. This is Disney-owned property. <laughs> I can't say. what It you- was lewd. It was extremely lewd. You but, came in yelling and screaming. I was happy. And that's fu- but But after the game, you were you wouldn't talk to me. Oh, you it's, were kind of like
1: these are the nightmares. I've never seen them in a final. Nobody has unless you're like <laughs> well, 70 years of age. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. this is the worst nightmare coming through for a lot of us, for us Irish and a lot of Welsh people and almost all of Scotland. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good for anyone. And when you, it's not good for anyone. No, it's not. If you, unless you're I'm fine with this, unless you're English, this no, and that's that's the worst. Uh, let me, uh, okay, let's let's just do this. The worst is American Premier League fans who support England now for a tournament. I it's oh, I don't know that I it's have insufferable. A, I
0: don't know that I have a team. I'll say this: I don't root against them. Ugh. I mean, look, Harry Kane for me personally is, is probably my all-time favorite player. Um You know, it's hard for me to see him up there taking a potentially decisive penalty for his country and want to see him miss. I'm never going to, unless he's playing the U.S., I'm just not going to feel that way. Uh, But yeah, I don't say I have a rooting interest. I've just loved watching this. Um, But I understand your rooting interest. And I've certainly felt like that at at moments before. If this were Mexico, you know, I I would be rooting against them in that kind of way.
1: The mirror back page in England yesterday was it's England v Italy in the final. And they had an asterisk. It was like uh after we beat Denmark kind of thing.
0: See that that is the stuff where this, I can see why yeah. like uh, American fans aren't necessarily exposed that's to, the point. to the level of but that's not really the team's fault.
1: But it, it it makes you want want them to lose. Don't forget the influence of like, for example, the BBC. Imagine you're listening to this last night on the BBC from Rio Ferdinand after Italy versus Spain, before england had even beaten denmark i shouldn't say this but if you were denmark or england let me put it that way would you have preferred to face italy or spain being in england
0: from their perspective and i've been up here how many times now showing the confidence it doesn't matter who goes through here if you're england because i believe england beat both of these sides i just feel that i don't know one can compete with us right now the confidence we've got People might say, I'm getting carried away. I don't care. What I've seen, I feel England are the better team and the best team, and they beat both of these teams. But we've got to get through Denmark first. I I mean, the caveat he throws in at the end there. I mean, Jesus Christ.
1: Like, I'm sorry. If you're from another country, one of the home nations or Ireland, and you're listening to that, and we get all those channels. Like, this is England at a major tournament. And imagine, this, I've seen it way worse. 96 was dreadful. 1990 was appalling. 92 any of the tournaments, France ninety eight, they are insufferable. And mm-hmm. it's it's often from their their broadcasters. Right. So I, it's not about I you know how I feel about like say, for example, um someone like I don't know, Calvin Phillips. I admire and respect someone like Calvin Phillips as a footballer and the way he plays the game and all those things.
0: Yeah, I don't know that there's a player on that English team that I actively dislike. You know how much I like watching Jack Grealish.
1: Yeah. You know, I Ireland stuff aside. Mm-hmm. But this this constant
0: um, arrogance, like there's they, they make, But it fluctuates. We get it. It we fluctuates it. so wildly because it's the same media that props them up that hates them when things aren't going well and destroys them. So it's the entitlement, and
1: and then you know. The England fans that go, you know, singing about World War II, 10 German bombers in the air, singing songs about the IRA, all that old empire nonsense, all right, okay, that isn't good. Definitely not good. But then you turn on your TV and you see a different type of arrogance, a different type of kind of entitlement. That, they that, as I tried to lay out at the start of this podcast, they have no heir to.
0: Right, <laughs> it's, a, it's an it's, entitlement that is rarely or never fulfilled.
1: Yeah, correct. So, uh, it's so hard. And it's the dismissiveness of other countries. You know, oh, we'll, we'll get through Denmark or whatever. O- honestly, if Spain, if England played Spain tonight, and the Spanish, which we'll get to, match their performance from the Italian game against the English performance against Denmark tonight, I know it's horses for courses, different games, but mm-hmm. whatever. England aren't winning that game. Probably not. Probably
0: not. Well, I was going to say, that's actually the only part of what Rio Ferdinand said that I kind of agree with but in a different way is that like he kind of puts Italy and Spain on a similar level it doesn't matter who uh, that I ca- I almost agree with that element of it I, th- I think pretty similarly of Italy and Spain so if you're somebody who thinks okay well we'll beat Italy then to me you would you would assume that they could beat Spain as well I guess trying to explain his comments like if it were France in that game then maybe he would feel differently but look I mean the fact of the matter is England in my opinion may not be better than Italy or Spain but they can they can beat them they're in the neighborhood i mean they're on a in the same tier they have beaten spain there's no reason for rio fernand in a game at Wembley stadium to think that this england team can't beat italy or spain
1: right but it's just the the, the, the way he says the it is certainty is the absolute sh- no it's the surety andrew it's yeah. not we can do it it's we will there's nothing to be concerned about here i have no worries about this and uh, if i was watching uh, you know, if I if if I'm Spain or Italy watching that yesterday, I'm thinking, what's he talking about? Right. I think Spain put in one of the performances of the tournament, and Italy showed some of the fortitude that's going to be very tough for England to break down on Sunday.
0: Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side, and uh, we will go into greater detail on maybe the game of the tournament. I've heard people heap some incredible praise on this game between Italy and Spain. It was a phenomenal game, and we'll talk more about it coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on caught offside, Italy and Spain, Forza Italia, JJ, the Azzurri advance into the final on uh, on penalties over Spain in what was a riveting game, really tense game. Uh, It felt like there were going to be more goals in this one than what we ultimately wound up with. Uh, Italy were on their heels for a good portion of this game, but they did defend well. Uh, Spain had chances. You know, we talked It's funny. I, I keep fluctuating on this I- idea of Spain, whether or not. Okay, do they lack cutting edge? Do they have cutting edge? Uh, do they have the ability to score? I mean, they've answered some of those questions by score the back-to-back five-goal outbursts that they had. They've gotten to a semifinal. It hasn't been by accident. They've actually played really well, I think. And you know, this is one of those games where. I don't know where. Where do you stand on it? Like they, boy, they had so many chances, and I guess by nature of the fact that they didn't, that they only converted one of them, does that prop up the idea that they reverted back to type—a team that can generate scoring opportunities but has a hard time finishing them?
1: I, I'm conflicted with this one. I am too. I'm completely—I won't say completely confused, but look at the starting lineup. So the ever-present, despite his troubles. Morata, is left out for this game. And you wonder, okay, why? Well, maybe don't put in a traditional centre-forward that is going to be food and drink to the like of Bonucci and Chiellini, who are used to playing against those. So put in guys who are going to drop deep, drop off, go into pockets that they won't like. That's going to disrupt the whole thing, which they did. And they had Ferran Torres, Almo, and Sabal, and it worked, but they had no cutting edge. It wasn't really until Maratta came on that they had the knife. That they found a way. Now his early chance uh, that that he came, that he that he had didn't take it very well. Should have done better, but he scored the goal. And so I'm I'm completely confused.
0: Did well, I guess it's confusing just to cut you off for a sec. It's confusing to me because they missed like they they ended the game with an XG lead over Italy one point five nine to zero point six seven. I mean, it tells you that Spain probably should have converted more of the opportunities that they had. They had right. great scoring chances and they didn't convert them. So that fits, you know the comfy, safe narrative that Spain entered this tournament with. Um, but like if you actually watch them play, you know that that narrative about Spain is lots of middle third, lateral passing wear the other team down, see if you can maybe pull them out of position and then try to grab something, but lots of kind of bink, 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 back and forth. That, to me, wasn't really this Spain. Uh, I mean, I think it's Luis Enrique that's talked about vertical passing game. And, Verticality, and, yes. And there's and we've seen that from them in this tournament. So even I, if the scoreline holds up to the familiar narrative, the style of play, to me, didn't.
1: I, I agree with you. And... It is no, it is no knock on Italy to say it because I'm sure most Italian fans accept it. They were completely bossed in this game. Um, I know nobody likes possession is now out. Andrew, you heard that? Oh, it's so it's so 2012. That
0: went out with Leicester City's title. Uh,
1: oh yeah, stop talking about possession. But just look at it. <laughs> they completely dominated. Uh, Pedri.
0: Oh man, how is he 18?
1: <sighs> the pass. For Oyarzabal's chance, which, okay, I give him a pass. I, I give him a pass. Uh, pardon the pun, because, okay, he didn't control it. What a move that was! They, I mean, they opened up Italy, and that was fairly early in the game. And, Are you
0: talking about the whiffed header? No, no, no. Oh, we haven't gotten to that. No,
1: we haven't. Well, that's the point. That's why I'm giving him passes. Um, it was 15 minutes. After about fifteen minutes, that was like the the big chance that they had, and they had seventy two percent possession across the first fifteen minutes, and that would track throughout the game. Um, but they had almost in deep. They they just they completely dominated that Italian midfield, which is Jorginho, Barella. All these guys were were left in the shadow, and yeah, the whiffed header then. <laughs> so like that that was an opportunity. I think it was was a put the cross in. So they did open them up. But it was quick-thinking, incisive Italian play, and a brilliant goal from Chiesa. Like, it's just a stunning goal from Chiesa. But again, it was—how it was how should I put this? It was an oasis in the desert, that goal.
0: Well, think about how the goal happened. Right. I mean, Spain were attacking, and then Donnarumma settles— Throws it out. Just like one of the—I I love— I love goals that start like that. They're fun to watch develop. You can kind of like see the whole thing play out right in front yeah. of you. He rolls it out to spark the attack immediately. And then next thing you know, Spanish defense is, is on their heels. And what I kind of liked about the goal, and I think what, in some ways, like a sign of a, of a really good game, like the that goal that Italy scored, it was good on top of good. Like you had Laporte track back for Spain, really do a great job Recovering there as as the final defender to we think clear at, at least try to clear it yeah and, and prevent and break up what would have been a, a, a clear scoring opportunity for Italy but his clearance makes its way to Chiesa who then does great even greater than Laporte uh, and bends one in past the goalkeeper it was just like a lot of really good play from both teams
1: yeah a lot of high quality stuff and but it was like
0: I said an oasis
1: in a desert it was like Italy. Like Donnarumma read it straight away. We, we've got an opportunity to break down this left-hand side now. we got to go. we got to go. Because genuinely, Spain were the dominant yeah. side. And it's hard, you know, on this podcast we've talked regularly about Brendan Rodgers and death by football. And sometimes, watching Liverpool in that era, you felt like you were dying. Like, and Spain versus Russia in 2018. Lots of the ball. Death by football. No death. Except to the team. The team that had the ball. But it's hard for the opposition, unless they do what Italy did, to capitalise. If you don't have the football, it's hard to hurt another team. So there is a place for it. You just need that incision. And Who would have thought it would have been Maratta that would do that when he came in?
0: It's not that far-fetched.
1: I know, I know, but the fact that the manager decided... Against Chiellini, against Bonucci, I need to go in a different direction for him to come on then and say, "Well, maybe, maybe I should have been on from the start." Was was pretty stunning to me,
0: because and it was a great goal. This is
1: a guy I don't know if you know you're on about confusion, water, spin, What's going on with them? The confusion extends to Morata. Is mm. he confident?
0: He took that goal brilliantly, and he had well. He had, the, there's a difference here. Confidence has everything to do with your mental makeup right that goal happened so quickly a one-two there was no thought there it just happened it was all instinct a penalty is entirely thought it is you alone with your thoughts
1: oh i I have to push back on that a bit i think he had a lot of time like so when that goal when the one-two is played
0: that is all instinctual Quick pass to Almo. Keep the run going. Right. Take it right back. Fire past the keeper. Goal.
1: He still had enough time when he's staring down Dammarune. Yeah, it was a great finish to poop Look, his I'm, pants. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs>
0: you know, I mean, that's a quick poop. That's just like a. But like, ultimately, that compared to a penalty, it's, I, I think maybe he's in his own head sometimes. I don't know. I, I tend to like him.
1: As a player, you, you do. You like him a lot. And by the
0: way, I, it's because I feel honestly, I feel bad for him because I don't think he's a bad player. And the the shtick that he gets from the fan base, death threats, like it's not to me, it's not really befitting of him as a like. First of all, no one should be getting that. Right. The, the, like, start with that as the baseline. But like, I don't think Maratta is bad to a level where that is something that any crazy person would even think to do. But eventually, like a snowball starts rolling, and like it just becomes, it becomes the thing. Like oh, Marat, like a few guys start talking about how he can't finish. Look, he's not, yeah, he's not a top five, top, probably not a top ten striker in the world. He's not. But like, do people? Is that the expectation? Is that what people expected from him to be that guy? Like, what did you think? What do these people think they were getting? Yeah, he's fine. He's a good player.
1: Is it, there's a serious want in Spanish football for an out and out striker since David Villa went and since. Uh, Fernando Torres faded off, you know? And I suppose people thought it was going to be him. And he's always seemed to be at at big clubs, you know? Yeah. Uh, And he seems to have just a kind of a countenance, a face that you're not always confident. Like, when he went up for that penalty, Andrew, you're like, oh,
0: God, not again. Yeah, And you've already seen him miss one against Slovakia. It's why penalties are just so cruel, because, like... Murata scored the tying goal for Spain in this game. Danny Almo, who missed his penalty to, uh, as well, had a brilliant game for Spain. Like it's why I will never allow any legacies in my mind to be tainted by a missed penalty. I just won't. Okay. Like I understand their importance, and you know that they decide champions. Like I totally get that, but to me, it's not. It's not the mark of you as a player. You know, like we talked, we talked about on this podcast. Messi missed in the final of Copa America against Chile. Mm. You know, Ronaldo John Terry missed, slipped and fell on a penalty and missed when he could have won. In that same penalty shootout, I believe Cristiano Ronaldo missed for Manchester United, mm. which was what gave Terry the chance to win it for Chelsea. Like, it's just not, it's not going to change the way I view a player, a missed penalty. Uh,
1: Sid Lowe wrote this in the Guardian: um, Spain's Alvaro Morata. Murata once likened facing uh, Giorgio Chiellini to trying to take a banana off a gorilla in a cage. Here, it looked like he had taken something much, much bigger from him, but in the end, it got snatched back. I mean, <laughs> the middle of the Italian defense has not been burned asunder like that Spanish move in a long time. And um,
0: It wasn't just a... De- I mean, it was, like you said, it was the midfield, it was the defense, <laughs> and ultimately it was the goalkeeper. It was a great move by Spain. It was a great
1: move. Going into extra time we saw a reversion to old Italy, didn't we, really? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not talking dark arts. I'm talking brilliant, Def- gritty defending. Yeah. Like the kind of stuff that gets you to penalties. And Italy wanted penalties because they knew, I think, they were hanging on a little bit. Also, I couldn't believe like how many of their quality like attacking players. Like I thought, what are they going to do? And I saw Marco Messina from IFTV. Italian Football TV tweet the same thing. What are they going to do now? Or I'm worried about them now that Insigne is gone off the field. You know, there was a lot of elements here um, that I thought were not in Italy's favour, just in general play. But Spain couldn't get that that second goal. And then we went to penalties.
0: Yeah. And uh, that was where it ended. Jorginho's penalty was brilliant. He's, he's very good at it.
1: He is very good at it. Uh, now... Unai Simon, he's gone to his right. Had he looked at Alisson earlier in the season, Alisson saved from Jorginho at Stamford Bridge, where Jorginho went to Alisson's left, to the right, to Jorginho's right, with the little skip penalty. I still don't like that penalty.
0: <laughs> the style?
1: I don't like it. I, I, can, I, know, I think I understand more now why it's effective, but I don't like it because that little skip... If you land or if you go a little bit too high and your standing foot's not right, you just mess up. Now, let's analyse Morata's penalty, which was a more traditional penalty, which was a terrible penalty. Mm-hmm. Totally telegraphed it. And he didn't do any little skips, so I, I I don't know. It's horses for courses, whatever really suits you. But um, we've got the call from uh, uh, Sky Italia of Jorginho's penalty, which is very nice to hear. Finale di una partita quasi drammatica. That's uh, Fabio Caressa and uh, Giuseppe Bergami former Italian player who became famous I think in 2006 for their call of the World Cup final on Sky Italia so now they're the the number one partnership in Italian commentary. Well, there we are.
0: Uh, you mentioned Chiellini before. <laughs> Did you see you? It's, I'm just, like I love it. Like his general personality, his bubbliness. Jordi Alba had no time for any of it, and I think I would be much more the Jordi Alba. Do you Do you think it was a bit
1: like? And we've all seen it.
0: Where you're teasing
1: one of your friends, you're like, uh, you're you're like pushing them. You're like, come on, come on, what's the problem? What's I thought your-
0: he was gonna. It was like an older brother. I thought he was gonna give him a nookie right there in yeah. the middle of the field. What's your,
1: what's your problem? Are you mad now? Are you mad? Oh come on, come on, like it was, it was like Frank Vincent in Goodfellas. What? What's your problem? I'm just busting your your stones a little bit. We're just having a bit of fun. Come on, what's your problem? You know, you wanna you wanna get all. And Alba was not interested. No. At all. And the, and the height disparity made it all the worse. Right. It was... I don't
0: know what the... I guess to each his own. I don't know what the right mentality is to have heading into a penalty shootout. Do you want to be stone-cold focused like Jordi Alba was trying to be? Or do you want to be loosey-goosey like Chiellini? But Chiellini was, wasn't going to take a kick. He looked like kick. Roberto Benini accepting the Academy Award. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he wasn't going to take a kick, so I guess he was super relaxed. Not uh, super well. relaxed, but more relaxed. And he was making fun over the coin toss. Like he was saying that they didn't call it right, and he he made a big joke out of it. But yeah. Jordy was he was locked in in a yeah.
0: Not a he, Chiellini is such a character. I mean, he's lovable. He's, amazing. he's lovable in that way. Yeah, uh, but I almost was like watching it on TV, being like, dude, there's a time and a place. Come Can on, you, man.
1: Couldn't you see Chiellini in like a deli or a butcher's with an apron around him? You know just slicing up meat, chopping meat, making sandwiches even in a restaurant. He just has the demeanor of you know, cuz he's friendly, but he's big and imposing. I just feel like he's your local butcher.
0: He loves life. Everything I picture him doing, I picture him he's doing a great it, I picture him doing it with a smile. Yeah. Which is nice. That's a nice thing. The the Kielini Benucci partnership. It's almost to a point where I can't I can't say one name without the other. It feels like I'm missing something.
1: Like but, uh But but yeah. It's like they come together as they're a They're like one guy. It's interesting you say that cuz Italian teams have done that. Like uh Barizzi and Costa Corta uh back in the 90s for Milan and then you have Cannavaro and Alessandro Nesta. Mm. Nesta and Cannavaro. Cannavaro and Nesta. They were like the 2006 one. Um Bruce and Pallister for United has there I mean, Vertonghen and Alderweireld. That was one I was certainly. They in. run together Just like that.
0: Not, I mean, club and country.
1: Yeah, Liverpool had one, which was it was very the two H's. They ran together in the early two thousands. Houpia and Oncho. Okay, that was that was one that went together. Um, Vidic and Ferdinand is another one. Mm. Center back partnerships that are like really tight, and then in the forward line, York and Cole.
0: I was thinking of that one too.
1: Yeah. Um, Suarez and Sturridge, well,
0: but that was the whole SAS, right? Aren't you missing one? She- oh, no, yeah, yeah Shearer, yeah,
1: Shearer and Sutton was the original SAS okay. yeah. There's, there, there are somewhere. The minute you say one, I will think of Nesta whenever I say Cannavaro as well, because of 2006.
0: Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of, of more of those, but like for a generation, I just feel like Chiellini, Benucci. It's just like they're always there together.
1: We should probably, because we're never, never afraid to give ourselves a pat on the back when it's necessary. I will take the heat on this one. The worries about the slow defending and the age of the two centre-backs that we put out on our previews. Yeah. Not really being an issue.
0: No, not really. But again, like we said, Spain had chances. And they did get pulled out of position. Yeah. I mean, it's not like... Spain were just like passing, 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 looking for a way in. No, they they had chances. Donnarumma was was forced to do a lot. Yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, no, but ultimately,
1: so far they've got to a final on the yeah, back of these guys.
0: Yes. Now Chiellini did have. I mean, what, what was he? he took himself out of the one game, and, <laughs> and then he kind of reappeared a couple games later.
1: Shakiri ran down the left hand side of him, He's like, nah. <laughs> And he just he gives the signal, he does the rolling fingers. Nah, yeah. not going to happen. I wonder even how badly he was injured. He was just like, I'm not doing this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move off of this, JJ, we should uh, pour one out for Spain Oof. Um, and talk about them just a little bit more um, as their tournament ends. Uh, look, we've talked a lot about them over the course of the last 15 minutes or so. This was a great tournament for them. Um, you know, props to them for getting to this point. I don't think too many people picked them to go this far. Uh, I think they wound up playing, like we said, a better brand than maybe people were expecting. And I'll say this about them. Um, the, the generation, it's turned over. I mean, I know there's still the Busquets link, but I don't know how much longer that will be there for them. So the generation has, has turned over. But it is a team whose future I feel particularly bright about. I mean, we, we've talked about Pedri. um a lot. Who, d- who d- we didn't and mention,
1: he didn't misplace a pass. He, and- did,
0: he wound up at the end. He was, he was I, I think, he officially was sixty-five of sixty-seven on passes. I think that was in the end what he was ruled to have been, which, by the way, is sensational. Oh my god! I don't mean to take anything away from it. I saw a stat that so Pedri was uh, completed sixty-five of sixty-seven passes against Italy. Tiago misplayed more passes five in fifteen minutes than Pedri did in his one hundred and twenty. Um, he also, the 18 year old, also created 11 chances at this Euro, tied with 2004's, uh, 2004 Portugal's Cristiano Ronaldo and 1978 Mexico's Hugo Sanchez for the most by a teenager at a Euro or a World Cup since 1978. Uh, he was incredible. He ran um, 47.3 miles at this tournament, the most of anyone, at least ha- entering today's game. I don't know if anybody from England or Denmark would have wound up surpassing that. Uh, So, those young legs were certainly able to do what were being asked of them. Spain, in general, just talking about their youth and what the future looks like for them. So, their starting 11 on Tuesday were an average of three years younger than Italy's starting 11, and... Looking at the future, J.J., Spain—so it's so early to do this, it's almost ridiculous, but whatever. Um, Just to put it in context, Spain's odds to win the 2022 World Cup at Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill are longer only than France and Brazil. So that's how it looks right now.
1: Again, I think— Bright future. They're they're navigating their way into this new Spain, and— there's a couple of positions they're going to have to figure out. Obviously, Aspeluqueta's not getting any younger. Uh, Jordi Alba the same.
0: They, Jordi Alba has he's got another tournament in him. Aspeluqueta might also. I mean, remember the World Cup is soon. It's Jordi Alba,
1: yeah, 32. Aspeluqueta, mm, and I thought Aspeluqueta was good in this tournament. Yeah. Uh, Busquets, uh, yeah, I suppose 32. Ah, you know what? Could. You're right. Considering the way everything's compacted now, maybe they do. But Pedri. I mean, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but Barcelona, to cover their massive, massive debts, they can't sell him. No. The pressure will be on, though. To sell him? Andrew, they are, they ha- they're in dire order, you know. They have to figure some other way. I mean, nobody else... Like, it, it can't be him. But nobody else wants any other of their players except him or probably Messi. The rest of them, you know... Him or Ansu Fati? Uh
0: Am I am I crazy for if we're ranking those three in terms of the ones I would least want to give up? Yeah. Am I crazy for putting Pedri above Messi?
1: No. Why would you be crazy? Because well, it's Messi. And Messi is what age? Come on. You've got you've uh, got to look you've got to look for the future of the club. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That kind of thinking is going to take you right to the top. Right to the top. All right.
0: Uh, let's see. One more break. Do you have any more on this?
1: Uh, I, I don't. I can't think of anything. Okay. Right now, if
0: something occurs to me, Andrew, we'll do it after the break. Sounds good. We'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, some other things are happening. Uh, Copa America, Chris Armas, and I guess we should at least give a, a somewhat of a preview of Sunday's final. England and Italy. I mean, we've talked a lot about these teams but I don't know that we've talked a lot about them playing against each other. Only
1: problem is right now doing that, Andrew, is the injury report which for Italy I think is going to be curious and interesting and we don't know enough right now. But we will preview it because that's what we're here to do.
0: That's true. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll be uh, right back. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back again on Caught Offside. JJ, um, I don't know what it was like for you, but the uh, the storm that rolled through New York Incredible. yesterday was unbelievable. And um, actually, I should show you the picture. I have it on my phone. A massive tree branch fell in my front yard right in front of our door. Our front door was inaccessible. And so... Really? Yeah. Um,
1: so was did you automatically this morning turn into old chainsaw, Andy?
0: <laughs> you know me so well, oh. except I don't own a chainsaw. Oh, God. <laughs> but what I do own... Is a small hatchet, and no. so, I, so I went out there at about seven in the morning today, and I I tried to move it before I took the I hatchet mean, out. I tried to just move this gigantic tree no branch, chance. and I'm not even. It must have weighed eight hundred pounds. Like it was, I had no shots. So I was like, all right, I got to do something. So like, oh yeah, I have was a, there damage done to the house? Or? No, it was fell right in in front of the door, so it never it could it, have it killed someone. It, it, could, it probably would. It was heavy enough where it would have gone through the roof, certainly. Thankfully, it didn't. Um, But so I was like, oh, yeah, I have a hatchet. Let's let's see what we can do here. I'll say this about hatcheting a a giant tree. Also a tree
1: that's not seasoned. It's not wood that's seasoned. It's full of sap. It's going to be very tough.
0: There was no sap. It was one of the greatest aggression releases I think I've ever experienced in my life. And I almost now, after (laughs) storms— Want to just kind of travel the area, (laughs) see if people have trees in their front yard. I'll bring, oh, there goes the hatchet, man. I'll get it painted on the side of my car. I'll make a little business out of it. I'll hatchet your tree up so we can move it to the street, and then the city comes and takes it.
1: And you will be, won't be charging for the service because you'll get, I mean, basically- It was exercise. Your payoff is the release of stress.
0: Yeah. It was an amazing release of stress. So uh, anybody out there who has a similar situation, a tree has come down. Not, not a huge one. You can't chop down a huge tree with a small hatchet. But like if you have the situation where a branch comes down but it's too heavy to move, go buy a little hatchet and hack away. But hatchet
1: safely, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just
0: be careful of wood chips by the eyes. But right. the rest of it was very safe.
1: Did you have goggles on? No, actually. I didn't. <laughs> um, old Hatchet Andy. Yeah, yeah. It's a new, a new character. Uh, by the way... I like
0: that nickname far more than Credit Card Andy. Credit Card
1: Andy was... Uh, some people found it hilarious. Oh,
0: Americans and their credit cards. Oh, always with their credit cards. Well, get out of here.
1: We need to get our Dutch drop back. We don't even have that anymore.
0: Oh, what was that guy's name?
1: Um, Peter van der Haskraften,
0: Haskraften
1: <laughs> of the Amsterdam police. Hello!
0: Right, he's very friendly. The guys that I ran into at the Barcelona Ice Bar, no, they, they didn't care for me at all because of my credit card. Apparently. All right,
1: I would be scared to see you come with a hatchet. I got to be honest with you.
0: Oh, hey there, neighbor. <laughs> 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 oh, that lunatic is out in the front yard with his hatchet again. <laughs> uh, other things are happening, JJ. So we talked before about England, Italy, Wembley Stadium. It's a final that just works. <laughs> what are they saying in South America right now about the Brazil Argentina? Copa America final. Talk about a final that works.
1: Yeah, I, I mean a classic final. Yeah. A final that uh, I mean a final that Neymar asked for. Yeah. Pre pre uh, in
0: one of the ultimate. Be careful what you wish for. Oh, statements. Yeah.
1: Uh, I can't wait to play Argentina. I have many friends there, um, and I will enjoy playing against them. And Brazil will win. All right.
0: It's funny that he says because I have many friends there because to watch Copa America is to be of the belief that. <laughs> Everyone hates each other's guts.
1: Uh, my girlfriend works in uh, has has extensive uh, knowledge of South America, and what we see on the field seems to be an encapsulation of their, <laughs> their general view of everybody else. They're like, think of South America as a collection of neighbors who despise each other.
0: Like, there's no Chiellini's on those teams
1: having fun. No one's
0: given a noogie at midfield before penalty shootouts. Just,
1: uh, it's like watching two different sports. So I, I watched the semi final at Paddy's Park Slope last night with my Colombian friend, um, Alvaro, and they were devastated at the end after the pe- sure. after, after the penalty kicks. But um, watching the game was like, this is is this the same sport I've been watching in Europe for the last month? Because the physicality was unbelievable, and yeah, it's. It, it was fun. I enjoyed the game, but it was it was it felt different. I'm not saying there's no fouling or physicality in European soccer. Of course there is. Are there dark arts? Of course there are. But this is like ramped up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Accelerated.
0: Um, we, we talked about Belgium and Kevin De Bruyne gutting it out through what apparently was a torn ankle ligament and playing well. I mean, to look at Lionel Messi's ankle, and, and I, you know, and, and I mean, it was. It made Kurt Schilling look like a paper cut. Yeah, um, and and I just like it for him. Obviously, as a fan of this sport, I love Messi. I mean, everyone should. And like, I just kind of want this for him if that makes sense. Yes. And like the criticism that he's taken over the years, oh he's a Barcelona player, he's not Argentinas. You know, like to, He's kind to, of Spanish, really. He's been there longer than he was ever in
1: Argentina. To hear
0: all that, yeah. it just kind of I've always found that sort of, that narrative a little bit unsettling um, because I do believe, I mean, look how wrecked Messi was after their Copa America loss when he he couldn't even t- like he couldn't stomach it anymore when he retired and had to kind of be brought back. Um because I think the weight of playing for that team, I, I do believe that it means so much to him. Uh, and oh, it does. Um, and I think he's enjoyed this Copa
1: America. Well, he's been brilliant. Yeah, he has. And it's a shame there's not fans there to to watch him, but I wonder, is it less pressure for him when there isn't fans there? We remember his demeanor, was it uh, pre-Nigeria in the World Cup? in 2018 where he just kind of during the anthem he had his head down he just was slowly kind of shaking it or whatever just this this sense of this is all too much for me it's too much but he's never struck me as a player who's affected by anything he didn't look affected last night at times
0: uh, certainly the, his penalty was I mean, is it even possible to take a penalty better than his
1: but even you know towards the end of the game he went on one slaloming run and you thought uh oh uh oh and he's beaten two three players and he gets he gets hacked down by the fourth. And I kind of, I grab my legs. Have you ever seen someone, you know, trip on concrete on their knees? Mm-hmm. And you get, you get, like, the sensation in your knees as you see it. Like, it's, like, almost like your body is channeling their pain. when That happens to me when I watch Messi. Because I know, especially in these games, out of somewhere, a tackle is, a desperation tackle is coming. And usually, as you point out, he's, his ankles are hacked. it. The shit, what Maradona went through, and what the, what these players who are ball dribblers go through is it's pretty intense on the body.
0: Yes, yeah, it really is. Um, so in the end, it is uh, it's Argentina that advanced on penalties in a, in a really compelling penalty shootout, where hmm. in a quiet stadium, I mean, have you ever heard? Now, look, I don't speak Spanish, um, but things get translated, and the the trash talk was just like it was so. Out in the open, um, it was it was pretty interesting.
1: Well, I had questioned whether David De Gea, speaking in Spanish to all the Villarreal players in the Europa League final. I said, I'd never seen someone being so demonstrative. I know trash talking happens. I'm not naive. But he was coming out to the ball and he was chatting away. It was like he was having a conversation with every one of them. It's like everyone was channeling their inner Tim Cruel. <laughs> Didn't work, though. Didn't work for De Gea. But... M- Emmy Martinez took it to a new level last time.
0: Do you night. have the actual quote of what he was saying? It was to Yeri Mina, right? Yes, uh, I do have it actually. So
1: this is to what he said to Yeri "You're nervous, huh? I can't. I can tell you're nervous. I know where you're going to shoot. Watch and see how I'm going to eat you up. Remember, <laughs> I'm going to eat you up." <laughs> That's from. Uh, that's from ESPN. That's the ESPN translation That's of amazing. that. That's amazing. And then after saving it, the pelvic thrust. Yes. The most aggressive and de-nozzle move. Yeah, but
0: the ca- I wish the camera had stayed with it just <laughs> a little longer. You could see it happening, but the camera left him. Uh Messi shouting at Yerimina. Uh Baleahora which is dance, dance now.
1: now. Which uh <laughs> I suppose Yerimina really rubbed people the wrong way with his penalty in the in the sh- there was they came through a shootout against Uruguay. Yes, and he did this little whole dance routine. And I asked you this question: Who goes full celebration during penalty kicks?
0: You don't see it. You don't. They do pump it. a fist. They hype up their keeper. Yeah, and they go or back they to the sometimes center. go to the crowd. Right,
1: but there's no, there's no choreograph. Like
0: imagine doing that and then r- sliding to the flag in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> and then like as the next guy is stepping up to, and the shootout continues. Like it's just. Uh, um, imagine doing Robbie Keane's celebration where he'd do the tumble and then the, yeah. the bow and arrow.
1: As your friend behind you is, like, daunted, walking to the penalty spot, you're going through your full repertoire. Right. I mean, if Paul Pogba was to do that, there'd be two penalties taken while he was still doing his routine. So you don't do it. Yeah. Great, um... I enjoyed that game actually. Yeah.
0: And meanwhile in the final they're going to be meeting Brazil, but Brazil will be without Gabriel Jesus. Now we talked about the foul. <laughs> yeah. that brought upon him the red card. One of the most warranted red cards you'll ever yeah. see. Yeah. He's um he's a bit he's gone a bit over the ball, Andrew. <laughs> uh, yes. Perhaps. So, Konmeble suspended him for two matches. He's going to miss the final. Uh he obviously is not happy about this decision. Neymar voiced his dissent oh, obviously yeah. for this decision. Did they get it right? Oh, I think, is this worthy of a two, uh, two-match ban and missing uh, a semi and a final?
1: I kind of feel it is. Or maybe, maybe one match. No, I actually think it's fine. I'm okay with it. It was pretty over the top. It was pretty unseen, not regular, irregular. Yeah. It's not. You're not sitting there going, oh, it's one of those you've seen them given." <laughs> No, it's not. You know, he's 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 jumped to face height with with his boot and and kung fu kicked a guy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I, mean, I do love only, guys uh, missing finals. Right. I don't like that.
0: That's the only thing. But if he didn't, then no one should.
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone went to Nigel De Young when they were reacting to it. Oh, it's the worst since Nigel De Young and um, Nigel De Young didn't have anything happen to him, but but he should have. For sure.
0: It was it was horrifying.
1: Should have walked. Yeah. There we are. I, I don't know. I don't like players missing finals. Maybe one game would have been enough. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know the right answer. You know, where in the rule book does it say, well, if someone almost decapitates someone? What do you do?
0: Um, a couple other quick ones here. In MLS, I guess the big news from over the past few days is that after their 7 1 pasting from <laughs> DC United, uh, Toronto FC fired Chris Armis. Gone. Just like that.
1: I, I read the, the, the comments from Toronto President Bill Manning, and this is what he said, Andrew. The way we've been losing, especially since returning from the three-week break, has been very difficult to watch. And when you see a team concede like we did yesterday, we just saw no way back outside of making the coaching change. They're rock bottom. And they're a good way off the playoff spots now, and they're trying to kickstart this thing. So in that sense... Can't fire the players. No. And um, then
0: what, you and I were texting about it after it happened, and we always, in, in situations like this, specifically like this, I know you you lean on Arsene Wenger's words in his interview with us, where he talked... What was it? He said... He
1: said, again, I have to listen back for the exact time, but he said, if you haven't changed... He was talking about culture, mm-hmm. But I think he meant overall philosophy. If you haven't got the club going in the right direction after three months,
0: it's not happening. It was basically, like if you don't have them after three months, you'll never have them. You'll never have them. Which I thought was an extraordinarily short amount of time to, to, I win thought, a, 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 to win over a locker room. Essentially, I mean,
1: Wenger is a guy who who turned around a locker room with where his club captain was an alcoholic. So why he wants to be so narrow on this time scale? But. Um, you know Ali Curtis and uh, and Bill Manning obviously felt that way i i i thought it was a weird appointment did you not think it was a weird appointment to give chris Aramis that i mean ali curtis obviously has links at red bull new york so when he was fired as the red bull manager curtis might have heard oh, you know what he's actually a really good coach or whatever you should you should have a look at him but uh what, i mean he didn't tear up any trees in new york uh, I don't know.
0: No, I thought he did a decent job. I'll t- That's not really where my mind went when this happened. My mind went to the guy who's now with the LA Galaxy. And it kind of went to a place of, oh, huh, that Greg Vanny. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, look, I mean, look at both ends of it. Like Toronto FC r- rooted to the bottom. Um, and LA Galaxy right now playing pretty well in third in the Western Conference. Um, so, and, and he seems to have, you know, some of this is on the player himself but you know Chicharito has revived his career so that he's that guy can coach a little bit
1: he seems to be able to are uh, are we hearing who might be the next manager in Toronto I guess we're not
0: I don't know I have no idea either uh and then a couple other quick things JJ some transfer rumors there's reports that uh Carlo Ancelotti wants to bring Richarlison with him from uh, Everton to Real Madrid Wow. I don't know. I, I, I'm i still in a dark place with the... Uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing.
1: Uh, let's tread carefully here. All I will say is seeing Carlo uh, Ancelotti at the Real Madrid training ground in shorts and a t-shirt and the sun beaming down on him to the point where he has to wear a baseball hat is so different from Carlo over the past 15 months where we've seen him mostly in the rain on the sideline drinking a cup of tea. Uh, you know... Sonny Carlo I've no doubt that the weather played a big role in this move but uh, getting Richarlison it would seem like a strange one but maybe
0: Uh, Pep Guardiola made some comments that I found interesting JJ he basically said that it The the way the market is currently in this sport, Manchester City cannot afford a striker.
1: They can afford a striker. They are one of few clubs that can afford these things. What they can't afford to do is to be so blatantly and far outside financial fair play, which any one of the strikers that they will be linked with will put them in that area. It, It also puts them in that zone where they're breaking a kind of a club policy. Like City have spent gazillions but they haven't spent it all on one player or a couple of players like what's their record signing in the region of what 68 or Manchester city 60 in the 60s somewhere they don't go out and blow the doors off and and spend, but
0: but they spend that like what do they pay for Kyle Walker Like they paid an extraordinary amount for a fullback,
1: right? But they don't. My my point being is, if they're going for any of the strikers right now, they'd have to break the policy and they'd have to go for. They'd have to spend twice what they ordinarily would because they're looking
0: at Kane and and Erling Haaland, and that's going to be one hundred and twenty. Yes, at least. Uh, The exact quote from Pep was, "At the prices quoted, we are not going to buy any strikers. It is impossible. We cannot afford it. All clubs are struggling financially. We are not an exception. We have Gabriel. We have we have (laughs) Uh, who have been incredible in this position. We have young players in the academy, and we may uh, play many times with a false nine. There's more of a chance we aren't going to buy a striker for next season.
1: Yeah, It's, it's about the policy of the club, the way they spend their money, financial fair play, and all those things. It's not to do with the actual money that's in the club. They have loads of money. Yeah. Stop kidding ourselves. Uh,
0: one of those strikers who may be on their radar, although you don't hear much about that, Kylian Mbappe, JJ. I saw a comment from uh, Nicholas Anelka that I found interesting. I just wanted to get your thoughts. We don't have to spend much time on it, but all right. it's just interesting to me. Um, he said about Mbappe, if you want to win the Ballon d'Or, which is what you should be looking at uh, to echo Ronaldo and Messi, you'll have to compete with the best. You can't say you compete with the best all the time when you are at PSG. Does Mbappe have to leave PSG to fulfill whatever his potential is? Well... I would say that
1: performances in the Champions League and in tournament... In, like, say, for example, if he'd won the Champions League this season and put in some great performances throughout and France had done well, that's the kind of a season where he could win the Ballon d'Or being in Ligue 1, Right? I think. But if you look at the... And I went back and did some quick research, so if anybody wants to argue with me over this, maybe there is some... I've, I've missed some someone out here, but the last Ballon d'Or winner from Ligue 1 was...
0: Don't tell me yet. What? Give me an era.
1: Um, early nineties. I don't know. Jean-Pierre Papin from Marseille in '91. The only other Ballon d'Or winner from league on that I could that I could say is from league on in the history of the award was George Weah, hmm. who joined AC Milan from PSG midway through 1995. So he's in a Milan kit when he's getting the Ballon d'Or. Okay, that's not great. Now no. there's, if you go back further, further, there's been, um, I think, Tiganaf and he's second in the voting, and he was playing in France at the time, I think. Um, but that's it. So, short answer, probably, probably true. Probably true.
0: Yeah. Um, I know you wanted to mention, you, you hinted at it before the financial state of Barcelona right now, because all these moves, like we we had heard that Memphis Depay was on his way to Barcelona, oh. but it seems like everything is on hold now.
1: Uh, yes, Andrew. Um, Zach uh, Lowey of uh, Breaking the Lines website uh, tweeted this out, and it went mega viral. Barcelona cannot register any new signings. Not Memphis Depay, Sergio Aguero, Eric Garcia, or Emerson Royale after exceeding the LA, the LA, the La Liga salary limit. Despite selling Conrad De La Fuente, Jean-Claire Todiba, and Junior Firpo... <laughs> Who are not going mean, to? They're not going to make up these. these are this not, I'm sorry.
0: These are not needle movers in terms of like the debt that we're talking no, about.
1: Barcelona need need to reduce their wage bill by 200 million euros. Crikey, there's a good piece in the Daily Mail about that as well. Um, so why don't they? Say, it's a question and answer piece. Uh, in the Daily Mail sport, which was done by Pete Jensen. So one of the questions he asked, so why don't they sell players? It's simple, isn't it? They have been trying to sell players for the best part of the last three years. It was the summer of 2019 when Coutinho went to Bern in the hope that they would make the loan permanent. It didn't happen. They have tried to move Samuel Umtiti for almost as long. They can't shift their stars. They had to resort to some financial gymnastics to get Arthur Mello out by bringing Miriam Panic in, but now they are stuck with Pjanic. Messi hasn't renewed yet either. What's the worst scenario? That Messi, he never comes back. That his last games for Barcelona were those tepid end-of-season league season league defeats that saw them uh, blow the title in the new Camp. But what else can Barcelona do to prevent this impending financial armageddon? They can write off players' contracts. They have already done it with uh, with bizarre Brazilian midfield signing Mateus Fernandes, who now says he wants to take them to court for unfair dismissal. <laughs> They can sell some of the younger fringe players too, but this, as we've noted, but this is chipping away at the iceberg with ha- with a hammer, a very small yeah. hammer. And then the article, no Barca fan wants the Paragraph, no Barca fan wants to read. Pedri has lit up the no. Euros, and Soufan. can <laughs> can't, <laughs> can't, can't do it because you're mortgaging the club's future. Though. Can't do it. What's the point? Bringing them through, doing all that they've done with them, if they're going to do that?
0: <sighs> what?
1: A- what a mess! Yeah. What it really a, is. What an absolute and total mess. Uh,
0: and finally, one other quick note that you brought to my attention, an article, a rumor, I guess, right now about Gareth Bale. Again, it was based on a Daily Mail article as well,
1: um, that Bale will not play club football, but
0: will... Continue to be a professional Welsh international. Yes. So I will believe this when I see it. I don't believe it. Um, uh, if anybody would do it, he would, like I could see him. This has always been kind of hinted at, right? And he's he's never been shy about the affinity that he holds for international football with Wales over over his time with Real Madrid. Um, but I, like, will he continue to be Gareth Bale without playing regular football for a competitive club? I don't know. I, I mean, he could be good enough still to play for Wales, but like if they think they're going to continue to be was, getting the well, player so, that they're getting now, I don't know.
1: Well, so here's what the Daily Mail article said. Gareth Bale will reportedly retire from club football once his 600,000 pounds a week deal with Real Madrid expires next summer. So he's got a year left. So we'll assume he's going to ride the bench or maybe he maybe he plays for Real Madrid. He'll retire in May and then he will just be ready for Christmas for Wales at the, and he'll play internationals. For the World Cup. He'll play the qualifiers and the whole thing. Yeah. Now, that is the Abby Wambach method, who retired in 2014 from the NWSL, was not going to sign for the, uh, for the New York team that she played for, and tried to, because she said she needed to stay fit, and then went to the 2015 World Cup. That's the—I'm trying to think of another one. I don't know. Um,
0: It's very interesting. I
1: don't know if you can do it. Like, can you be sharp? Can you be—can you stay at the top of the game like this? I I don't know. And I don't know if that article is true. But there's a good chance he goes to Real Madrid and he doesn't play very much anyway. Well, that's the
0: question I was going to ask is how different would it be if he was at a club where he wasn't playing? Now, he's still in training every day, but I have to believe if he wants to remain— a fixture for Wales, he would be training in some way or, He'd an, or another. He'd have to
1: train with some kind of group. He couldn't train on his own. Right. That just won't work. So and he's it, technically yeah. go, going to be at, at a club in some capacity. It's very strange. Yes.
0: Uh, that's about it, my friend.
1: Uh, I had one more thing. Oh. Uh, the US women's national team played Mexico at the weekend in a send-off series game to get them ready for the Olympics and they battered Mexico. And they scored a goal, Andrew, uh, went from one end of the field to the other that was disallowed. I still don't
0: know why.
1: It certainly wasn't offside to me, but it was a wondrous goal, and it is now added to the canon of great goals that were disallowed. Mm. Beautiful end to end the movement. Oh, it's so good, amazing.
0: Yeah. And we and we got to look at the new U.S. I mean, we've seen these jerseys now on Twitter and everything. Yes. but Now we got to see them in action.
1: Thoughts? Um, you, they'll grow on you, I
0: guess. I, I don't like them. Okay. That's just me. I don't know what's going on there. There's just a lot happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's look, to each uh, everybody's going to have their own opinions on fashion certainly. I don't I'm I'm not a fan.
1: Yeah, I, I and I don't see how they they're linked to the country. But they're not the home jersey. They're just another jersey. Like the US is in a situation now where it's hard to know what our home jersey is anymore. I mean, I consider it to be the white with yeah. some kind of navy trim or whatever. But all, more like often you see us just wear an away jersey, even at home, because. So that muddies the waters a little bit, I we
0: guess. We need more horizontal stripes. That's what we need? The world needs more horizontal stripes. You,
1: that That is... It's my go-to. It is indeed. Yeah.
0: Well, there you go. That's it. We're going to be back. A special podcast Sunday mm. evening, I suppose, after... Uh, the game has gone final between England and Italy. England are in a final. Yes.
1: Oh, they my God. Sure it's just dawning on me. Oh, this is – this is – maybe it really is coming home. You're not and it's that, in
0: Wembley. I oh. mean, like, you can't script this. This is this is, this is is serious stuff, though. I'm, I'm very concerned. We'll back. let this play us out tonight. Up oh, and it's gone. JJ I can't do it. it. I can't have it. I'm he will not sorry. Allow- well, hey, to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Oh, my God. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.